Hello, this is Andrew Harrison introducing a special edition of The Bunker. As regular listeners know, our panellist Arthur Snell has friends all over the world, including Afghanistan. Last night, he managed to speak with one friend who's currently in hiding in Kabul to hear what the situation is really like on the ground there. We've chosen not to identify him for his own safety, but Arthur introduces him in inimitable fashion. Here's an edited version of their conversation. It's an honour to speak to you, Mullah. <laughs> so, tell me what happened. Uh, you tell me what's going on at your end. Well, okay. I'm I'm safe. I want to hear about. I, I flew. I f- yeah, tell me. Flew just uh, three days before a coup d'état against the Kabul, and uh, we were thinking that uh, it will take at least another month or so before the fall of Kabul came down, just to close down the accounts in the bank and if it was possible to transfer the money out of here and then all of a sudden just within two days uh, it was a, we, we had a nightmare and uh, so the president fled the country with his team and uh, the personnel were all told that uh, all would be fine so we're going to bombard the Taliban tonight the Americans are by our side so flying from the Middle East uh, 15, 16 and 18 so entirely, basically, everybody was told that, yes, we're going to fight them tonight. And at around 4 o'clock, 4 p.m., he country. Well, but there are rumors that he fled with a lot of cash, but no one can confirm this. Kabul was left without anything. So, and Abdullah Abdullah, who's the you know, chairman of the council, yeah. he came online at around, I think, 5 or 6 p.m., saying that the president fled, which was not a good idea to, to do this. And between that time... And the morning, most of Kabul was looted by criminals, by gangs, by hooligans, just name it. Everyone under the name of Taliban and, and were, you know, uh, taken uh, weapons, you know, registered weapons were taken, money, everything that they could have done, including they have taken some women from houses, you know, houses that didn't have men. I have never seen such a hell in my life. One of my cars, which was standing on the uh, on the road, on the main road, was taken away. My driver was outside, so they just took the key of him and they said, uh, this car belongs to the new Islamic Emirate. So my driver called me and said, do not resist because they can kill you, just give it to them. Yes, everybody is in big fear and uh, just a very small proportion of people who worked with the coalition forces managed to leave the country. People like me, I mean, I have registered myself for the evacuation, UK evacuation, but I, I was told just or the email when to be told what to do, you know. But there are still Afghans, but there are still Brits. I mean, they're just white British people. I mean, not living too far away from us. People stuck in their villas, residence. I managed managed to get outside yesterday just to walk around. It's quieter, but there is a very big fear. You know, hair salons, beauty salons are all closed down. Musicians are beaten up. You think that this is the 13th century Baxton Age era. It's not what you would see a week ago in Kabul. We live on imported electricity from Iran and Uzbekistan. Right. So Uzbekistan have cut their electricity because they don't recognize this government and they don't know who's going to pay the bill. What do you think was the reason that the Afghan forces didn't didn't stand up to them? What we hear from the media is completely a different picture. A minister of defense for 
you know, the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the guy who basically overlooks after the logistics. I said, the Americans say that you guys had 300,000 combat forces. He said, it's a lie. We never had 300,000. The rest of them were all admin workers, you know, admin staff at the Ministry of Defense. And the Americans are part of the 300,000. So the police were not actually doing the fight. The fight was conducted more or less by the army and only 80,000 fighting at 21 fronts. Uh, the reason why they couldn't fight is because they were not getting the air support on time. So that was the actual reason. There was a shortage of air support. There was a shortage of equipment to be dropped to them on time. Plus, they were also getting commands from, from Kabul to give up certain areas in order to stop the bloodshed. So there was a combination of a lot. And Kabul was a total failure of the President Ghani. He just left the gate open. And have surrounded Kabul. Yes, he just left the gate open. Reports are coming that uh, everything, whatever was looted in the first two days, it just uh, is driven towards Torkham border and crossing into Pakistan. And no one can stop them. From what I see, it was a big win-win by the Russians because the Russian embassy did not evacuate anyone. They did not evacuate a single staff from the embassy. The ambassador is on the streets walking around with the Taliban. What a defeat they have given to the Afghan ally, strongest ally, the Americans and its coalition forces. If Afghanistan was called, the government was called as an ally, uh, then there should have been enough of air support, you know, to, to defeat these people. From what I hear from the armed forces, the generals, you know, those who were in the battlefield, they were fighting properly. I mean, look at Helmand, how much of, of resistance there was against the Taliban in Kandahar too. But then when there was a lack of air support, uh, so they couldn't really win, uh, go any further. It's really, really upsetting. It's a country that was thrown 50 years back. The number of people that we've lost, the British, now around 500 British soldiers, I mean, boys and girls, I mean, over almost 3,000 Americans, or probably over, over 3,000, let alone the other coalition forces. What was all this for? I came back to Afghanistan to work here to see that this country could be perhaps like one of the Middle Eastern countries with the prosperity, you know, having a friendly relationship, business relationship with neighbors in a perfect transit country between countries in the South Asia and the Euro-Asian countries. And all of that gone within a week. The American flag at embassy is down. The British flag at embassy is down. That means diplomatically that they don't recognize this government. That's it. Recognition of this government will take years and years. If, of course, they stay in power. What do you think will happen? Because... They seem, they're trying to reassure the West. It seems like they're trying to reassure everybody. Do you think that's just propaganda? It, it is absolute propaganda. Ever since the peace negotiations with Americans back in 2020, I believe it was, or 2019, they have been giving promises. None of that promise was fulfilled by the Taliban. They've promised that they're not going to attack major cities. They have done it. They promised that they're not going to enter the Kabul. They have done it. They promised that they will not harm civilians. They have done it. They have promised not to execute people like they used to. They have started executing comedians, you know, journalists, armed forces personnel who have given up, you know, peacefully, you know, without resistance, just gave up fighting. I mean, you saw probably the videos that of over 30 commandos who were just assassinated they would not give up and these people they you, you're talking to people who have grown up in madrasas with an extreme religious view 
that the country is occupied by infidels. And we, as people who work for the government, or we, as who lived in Kabul, are basically facilitated this whole stuff for the infidels to invade the country. These are brainwashed people. Why would they go and be, become suicide bombers? Because they're brainwashed. And it takes a long time, you know, to prepare someone to become a suicide bomber or, or to have a belief that we are not uh, their friends, or at least we're not ordering. Of course, statements come from the upper chain uh, because now they know that they find they have taken the Kabul, they have taken the country. What is next? They will be isolated. How are they going to feed the nation? How are they going to feed themselves? How are they going to sustain? So for those reasons, they're giving all these prom uh, fake promises to the international community that, no, we have changed. Of course, they have not changed. A person who was one year old in 2001 now is 2021. That boy or a girl is either serving, served in the military or in the government or was hoping to go into higher education. That person grew up with the Western mentality, with the, with the different ideology, and now they see this dark ideology that came and imposing different rules on them. That is what's more scaring uh, for the new generation than on us, because we have gone through that once before in our lives. So we know who these people are. The shock that the people see uh, are the generation that is in their 20s, because they did not see what was going on in the 90s. They did not see what was going on in the 80s. Whatever they saw was a prosperity, yes. The majority of youth, they speak English, they, they, they're very much Western-orientated, uh, with smartphones, you know, good hopes that they had. Everything was broken within a week. What do you think, I mean, those people, obviously, do you think Western countries should be being more generous and more open in terms of refugees? Of course, they, these people, uh, they must be uh, not only generous, they must allow these people uh, to find a way to leave this country and be settled somewhere else. There was a time that when I left Afghanistan, uh, fearing for my life, and I have returned when everything was fine. But then I, I don't think any Afghan would leave their country uh, without having a fear. The majority of those people who were running into the airport were people who worked as interpreters, translators, uh, cleaners. I mean, I have in, in around me probably over 10 people who have supplied the NATO, who have supplied American special forces. They have worked very closely with Americans and the, and, and the Brits. And I don't know what to do with these people. I can leave. Let me, I mean, I can leave at any time, perhaps. I mean, maybe this week or next week or within a month. But what will happen to these people? Yeah. This society, uh, particularly small society of Afghans, we have helped the international community. They should be treated different, completely differently uh, to those who are, you know, coming to UK or other Western countries when it comes to, you know, seeking asylum and, and for and, you know, uh, for settlement. What should people in the West do? The people that care about Afghanistan that are very upset. Are there some charities they should support or should they be contacting their MPs? What do you think? I don't think the MPs can do much there because it's an extremely lengthy process. I think charities are the first because there is a very big relocation of Afghans within the country fearing for their life and also the IDPs, they call the internally displaced refugees. There are hundreds of thousands of them. In addition to that, what the West should do now is to put pressure not to recognize this barbaric regime for a very very long time until everybody is assured that they are in line with at least what we had a week ago 
in terms of respecting you know this, the, the rights of women, children, civil society, uh, and have all those institutions that are strong pillars to any state. Currently, they're unbroken. Do you think there could be like any change now? So you know the Taliban are back. Is that the end of the story? Afghanistan has had so many different wars and, and, and you know, revolutions. Is this just one in a list or is not, this now the end of the story? Uh, it's a million dollar question. Uh, from what I see for a very good two, three decades, it's the end of everything. Until something really major happens against the U US or its coalition forces or the countries, the West from Afghanistan, I don't think anybody would turn into Afghanistan anymore. You know, I don't think the West would see Afghanistan as their ally, but let alone ally. I don't think they would even see it as, as a country that that matters anymore. It's it's difficult. I mean, I've been thinking about it for the last two days. What would need to Afghanistan do in order to bring 10% of the tension that it used to have, or 10% of the tension that it had a month ago? I don't I don't see anything. China is back into the game in Afghanistan. They, they are showing some signs of recognizing the Taliban. The Taliban are seeing Moscow as their probably perhaps second residence for travels. Uh, Pakistan is obviously would give a nice corridor to the Chinese, you know, to get into the Central Asian countries. So Iran is also quite happy to see a big defeat for the West. Though it will be quite difficult for, for, for the U.S. to defend what had happened uh, in Afghanistan. What are your plans for the next few days? You're just going to lie low. Well, I'm, I'm staying at in my place, my residence, so waiting for the call because uh, I know there's a very big rush on the military aircrafts, you know, to be put, to board people to leave. So we are told just to stay at home, and uh, as soon as I get the opportunity, I will leave, and I don't think I will have the chance to re return back into this place where we have invested a lot, not in terms of financially, but also, you know, our souls were here, thinking that everything would be fine. But no, no, we were wrong. Well, look, I'm so sorry. I know, Muller Achenzada, I know you're a, a great survivor. And so please, please take care. Um, and inshallah, we will see each other in a safe place soon. I'm sure, I'm sure. I'll, I'll let you know as soon as I'm back there. Please do.